it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? Hi there, it's Chris Gregory here again, and this is Bob Dylan, A Head Full of Ideas, Season 3, and this is Black Diamond Bay. Black Diamond Bay is a track on Desire from 1976, and uh, it may in some ways be a slightly obscure Bob Dylan song. I uh, don't know why, uh, because it's really quite an amazing bit of storytelling. Uh, Black Diamond Bay is perhaps the most cinematic track on Desire, uh, an album which can be seen as a series of movies. Almost every line could be extracted from a film script. It features a collection of characters that could easily appear in a nearly 1950s film noir, and the narrative frequently cuts from the actions of one character to another. The action of the song takes place in a suitable film noir location, a hotel with a casino attached, located on a small tropical island. The name Black Diamond Bay is actually taken from Joseph Conrad's novel Victory, in which it refers to a disused coal station somewhere in the East Indies, which contains a hotel, a casino and a steaming volcano. So um, there's little doubt that Dylan, uh, or possibly Jacques Levy, who he wrote the song with, um, was referring to, to this book. Not that the rest of the song has that much to do with it. Uh, the song works as both a tribute to classic films and a comic satire which mocks cinematic conventions mercilessly. Apart from a, a passing reference to a yellow fog, there are no references to colours in the song's seven verses. This is a song in monochrome. The swinging eccentric Desire Band, which would soon form the basis of the Rolling Thunder Tour, kicks the song along with considerable verve. Scarlett Rivera's violin and Emmylou Harris's backing vocals help to give the performance a light touch. Howie Wyeth's drums are especially prominent, setting up a skipping rhythm that seems to let us know, even before the lyrics begin, that we're about to listen to a playful pastiche. Co-writer Jacques Levy, a theatre and film director, may well be responsible for many of the minor details that make the song so appealing. You can tell in this song, um, perhaps more than any of the other songs on Desire, um, that Dylan is working with a, a co-writer and a co-writer that's very cinematic and theatrical in the way that he's, he's thinking. How uh, the Black Diamond Bay was performed live only once at the last concert of the Rolling Thunder Review at Salt Lake City, 25th of May 1976. And uh, very sadly, this is the only uh, concert, I believe, from the Rolling Thunder tour which uh, there is no extant recording of. So if anybody out there's got one, get in touch and let me know, please, um, because uh, myself and many people would love to hear this. The neglect of the song is surprising, as it is one of Dylan's most accomplished comic narratives. It consists of six verses that relate the story and a final coda that acts as a framing device for, and a reflection on, the events it relates. Each verse follows a similar rhythmic pattern. 
The usual rhyme scheme, uh, sorry, the unusual rhyme scheme, that's better, allows the narrator the chance to tease the audience before delivering the rhymes in a um, pattern of, here, here we go, A, B, C, C, B, D, E, F, E, G, G, G. Um, now that might not mean much to you, but I'll tell you, it's an unusual rhyme scheme. At first, the listener has to wait for the rhymes, which then begin to arrive with more regularity before they finally settle into a repetitive pattern. This structure helps to engage the listener, despite the song's lack of musical variation. The final rhyming lines add tongue-in-cheek comic emphasis to the action. The couplets that end each verse give us plenty of clues that a disaster is at hand. The rhyming couplet at the end of the verse begins to set up the oncoming disaster. We first hear that the last ship has sailed and we see the moon fade away. Meanwhile, ominously, the storm clouds rise and palm branches sway. In successive verses, the rain beats down and the cranes fly away. The sun went down and the music did play. The stars fell down and the fields burned away. And the fire burns on and the smoke drifts away. But the characters in the song carry on with their complicated lives regardless, and rather oblivious in fact, of the looming danger. One of Dylan's most distinctive qualities, as shown in songs like Desolation Row, Stuck Inside of Mobile and All Along the Watchtower, is his ability to create and use characters in his songs. Sometimes these figures are invented, but they may also be historical, mythical or literary figures. This allows him to create individual dramatic worlds within which disparate individuals interact. In Black Diamond Bay, the characters can easily be identified as stock figures in old movies. The unnamed woman who appears throughout the song is memorably described in the opening line as wearing a necktie and a Panama hat. A number of well-known female film stars of the 1940s often wore men's clothing like that on screen uh, in stylish and often unsuccessful attempts to amplify their sexual mystique. And I suppose what this wearing these kind of clothes did for them was to project them as not being your stereotypical um, woman that's just going to do what men says, uh, powerful women, in fact. And uh, you might question whether... Um, such women actually are presented in modern Hollywood in such a powerful way. Uh, Marlene Dietrich, uh, Greta Garbo and Betty Davis all wore both items of apparel, that's neckties and Panama hats, in various movies. Another major player is the guilt-ridden character referred to only as the Greek, who one can quite imagine being portrayed by Sidney Greenstreet or Anthony Quinn. The soldier is a hard-bitten figure who might be a shoo-in for Humphrey Bogart, whereas the tiny man would be certainly be a good fit for the sinister Peter Lorre. Perhaps Claude Rains, ever the smooth villain, could portray the desk clerk. The loser and the dealer in the casino might be natural parts for Dana Andrews and Edward G. Robinson. So um, anybody want to send me any comments as to who we're going to put in the movie of Black Diamond Bay? 
the song begins with a series of close-ups on the enigmatic femme fatale. We see her hat and necktie before we focus on what's clearly a faked passport. She certainly has a murky history, as all the remnants of her past are scattered in the wild wind. The detail is quite exact and appropriate. We are told that she walks across the marble floor, then hears a voice from the casino attempting to entice her in, but she merely smiles and looks up the other way. It's quite easy to picture one of the leading film noir actresses, perhaps Laurent Bacall, maintaining her cool here. The jaunty rhythm and the attention to detail in the lyrics have already set us up for some kind of intriguing, darkling comic mystery. There's actually a film of Dylan at an award ceremony where he's actually hanging out with Lauren Bacall, who's probably in her 70s by then, um, and uh, Dylan looks really suitably starstruck, uh, I would say. Um, anyway, after this, we might say that the plot thickens. The Greek comes down to reception and asks the desk clerk for a rope and a pen that will write. This is to say a rather suspicious request. Um, I suppose any of you who've worked in hotels, you've probably heard worse. The desk clerk removes his fez, as if he is a character in Casablanca, uh, uh, and asks, am I hearing you right? We aren't told the Greek's response, although we presume his request is actually granted. The narrative cuts to the second floor, where the woman, thinking that he is the Soviet ambassador, tries to speak to him. But he ignores her. We may speculate that the mysterious woman with her false passport is actually a spy. A yellow fog is said to be lifting. This appears to be a reference to T.S. Eliot's portrait of Urban Ennui, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, in which he invokes the yellow fog that rubs its back upon the window frames. To the reticent Prufrock, this fog mirrors the fog of uncertainty in his own mind. But here we are still befogged, as we have been given little definite information about the intrigues that appear to be going on in the hotel. I'm often a little bit dubious when um, Dylan writers uh, quote T.S. Eliot. Dylan's a very, very different writer to T.S. Eliot. There's a certain amount of evidence that he's, he's read T.S. Eliot. Um, this seems to be an example, but again, this could be a Jacques Levy rather than Dylan. We then begin to cut rapidly between a number of different scenes. The soldier and the tiny man are said to be engaged in a presumably shady business deal. We glimpse the Greek on the second floor in bare feet with a, a rope around his neck. In the casino, the loser continues to bet against the odds while the dealer continues to indulge him. The desk clerk, dozing at his post, is awoken by a lightning strike. The soldier presents a bizarre proposal to the woman um, with what is presumably um, giving her an engagement ring, telling her it cost a grand. It's not very romantic, is it? She retorts, that ain't enough. Uh, can you blame her? And stalks off upstairs to back her bags while a horse-drawn taxi waits outside for her. She passes the Greek's door, ignores the do not disturb sign and shouts, oh, I've got to talk to someone quick but he ignores her, kicks away the chair he's standing on, and swings from the homemade gallows he's created. Everything's going on in this song, isn't it? Then the volcano erupts, and we hear that 
The lava flowed down from the mountain high above. Meanwhile, the soldier and the tiny man are crouched in the corner, thinking about forbidden love. It's not really the kind of thing that would have passed Hollywood censors back in those days. The desk clerk tries to be reassuring, stating that the volcano is merely undergoing one of its small daily eruptions. But as the entire island sinks slowly into the sea, a series of events flash before our eyes. The loser finally wins big in the casino, but the dealer merely shrugs and tells him, with dryly mordant wit, you can take your money, but I don't know how you'll spend it in the tomb. As the tiny man begins to make sexual advances to the soldier, the woman never makes it to her taxi. She stands watching the destruction from a balcony, while a stranger professes love for her. That's the last we hear of the characters, and the web of plots and subplots that the story sets up. We'll never find out the details of the cross-dressing Matahari-like femme fatale secret life, why the soldier proposes to her, and who the stranger on the balcony actually is. The reasons why the Greek commits suicide won't be revealed. We will not find out whether the forbidden love of the soldier and the tiny man would have been consummated. The gambling history of the loser will remain a mystery. Ultimately, this will all be irrelevant anyway, as the Deus Ex Machina device of the exploding volcano. Remember the volcano? Yes, the, the exploding volcano is just about to wipe them all out. Uh, it's a disaster movie, isn't it? It seems. In the final verse, we switch to the present day and the voice of a narrator who's just seen the destruction of Black Diamond Bay on a TV show hosted by veteran US broadcaster Walter Cronkite. Sorry, Cronkite, the newsreader most famous for announcing John F. Kennedy's death. According to the narrator, who's only half watching the news item, the destruction was caused by an earthquake rather than a volcano, leaving nothing but a Panama hat and a pair of old Greek shoes. Um, he turns the TV off and grabs a beer from the fridge, dismissing the entire cataclysm with a cynical disclaimer that seems like every time you turn around, there's another hard luck story you're going to hear. His final thought on the matter is, there's nothing really anyone can say but I never did plan to go anyway to Black Diamond Bay. Yeah, very wise advice, I think. The whole song has recounted a hard luck story, which makes the listener, who is presumably attuned to expect the usual closure of a Hollywood movie story, increasingly curious as to the details of the intrigues that are unfolding. But the final verse, with its brilliantly deadpan dismissal of the significance of it all, supplies a wonderfully comic twist. The outstanding feature of the song is the attention to detail in the lyrics, which build up as if we are watching a moody film noir thriller. Uh, again, a lot of this may well be down to Jacques Levy. Uh, Jacques Levy, who had actually previously working with Dylan, had written a number of songs with the, um, with the birds, including the rather um, marvellous Chestnut Mare. The final image of the Panama hat and the shoes is particularly resonant and it's reminiscent of the ending of uh, Orson Welles' great cinematic film noir masterpiece, Citizen Kane, which dwells on the protagonist's childhood sled, Rosebud, which, like the entire plot of Black Diamond Bay, remains an enigma. 
While it might be tempting to interpret the entire story in the song as a warning about the possibility of a hard rain style global apocalypse, this would ignore the light-hearted nature of the song which rather gleefully parodies Hollywood film styles and the complacency that individuals develop about such disasters when they see them on television. And you really got to say that that last verse is a masterstroke, isn't it? Because it, we then look back on the rest of the song and we see that it's all seen through the narrator's eyes. So uh, this might be quite an unreliable narrator. The song derives its humour from its sly observation of detail and its mocking of stock character cliches, which twists into its own distinctly parodic shape. The movie of Black Diamond Bay, however, may remain permanently in development hell, as they say in Hollywood, um, but one would have a great deal of fun speculating as to which contemporary film stars could fill the parts and which director would be best equipped to deliver it. So here's a little um, a little competition for you all out there. Um, if you can uh, have a think about which contemporary film stars uh, might actually appear in a, in a movie of Black Diamond Bay, then um, let me know. Um, send me some comments um, on, my, on my website or on, on YouTube and um, maybe we can pitch it to Hollywood. Who knows? Thank you very much uh, for listening to this. Um, I'll see you next time. Don't forget to uh, like and subscribe, of course. Bye. Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob?